It's been a roller coaster ride for Leeds United fans, and that's just since Jesse Marsh replaced Marcelo Bielsa. The Whites looked okay until the last couple of weeks, but Burnley's revival and a couple of notable wins for Everton mean that it's suddenly squeaky bum time at Elland Road. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. It's never squeaky bum time if you listen to our top team of tipsters who are on fire at present. Betting expert Mark O'Hare is with us once again. Mark, Leeds go to Arsenal this weekend with the Gunners chasing a top four spot. It's not going to be easy for Jesse Marsh's team. No, it's not. Um, this is a, a really difficult tie considering the circumstances. And I, I have bigger worries now about Leeds in terms of their survival prospects. You mentioned the resurgence from Everton and Burnley as well. And, and Leeds do have a, a tricky run in starting this weekend. Uh, and also those key injuries as well, which are, are starting to bite yet again. And, you know, we've gone over old ground, I think. Well, I've mentioned this a few times, but Arsenal at home to the bottom half tends to be their, their sweet spot, really. Um, in fact, if you look at their campaign across all matches this season take out the top four Arsenal boast a, a 68% win rate which is really really strong very very consistent um, and at home they've won 11 of 14 against non-top four opponents as well but um, the last time Arsenal finished in the top four was 2015-16 um, so if we take their seasons or games since 2016-17 they boast a 74% win rate at home against bottom half opposition um, which is obviously very, very strong. It's a very sort of flat track bully mentality, uh, considering, you know, it's nowhere near the same Arsenal team that were challenging for the title in previous years under Arsene Wenger. So, um, and then you sort of look at their record uh, in terms of odds on favourites at home at the Emirates in, uh, in that same vein, or actually just take the last 100 games of Arsenal being odds on favourites in the Premier League at home. They've got a 74% win rate as well, which is superbly strong so you know if we turn that 74% probability into odds it would give you 1.35 now obviously that's not how you work out a value price or, or set your prices at all but I think it gives a good demonstration on, on what Arsenal can do and what they can achieve and what prices they could or, or would be around and they're trading close to, to sort of 1.5 to beat this Leeds team this weekend um I think they are value to win this match. Um, you can make adjustments to say that there's no Thomas Partey and his influence has been pretty key. Um, but White, Saka, Tomiyasu, there's all doubts about them. I expect at least two of them to recover and play. Um, they weren't great against West, West Ham last weekend, considering the opposition they're up against and, and the players missing. But they won ugly, as Arteta said. Um, I think Eddie Nketiah has made a bit of a difference up top. I think he's led the line very well. Uh, I do think they're in a good place. They have given away opportunities in, in each of the last three wins, but the fact that they've got that momentum and bounced back from those poor results is, is a positive. And I think this is a really good opportunity for them to extend that streak. Because if you're making adjustments for no Thomas Partey, then you've got to make a whole range of adjustments for Leeds. Who, um, Liam Cooper um, missing, injured in the warm-up against Man City last week. Uh, a graphic flashed up about his influence uh, during that game with and without Liam Cooper this season. Without him, Leeds' results have been diabolical. Stuart Dallas is massively influential just because of his versatility across the park. Patrick Bamford, as we've talked about all season, his ability to score, um, and Calvin Phillips as well. He's, he's not been the same player since he's returned from injury. So if you looked at Leeds' most influential players, you'd have to say three of the five are, 
are absent this weekend. Four, uh, the fourth one isn't 100% and the other one is the goalkeeper. So reliable operators missing. Leeds tend to toil against the best teams, 10 defeats from 10 against the top six this season, conceding 42 goals. I actually thought they competed really well against Man City for the most part last season. Last week, conceded some sloppy goals from set pieces. Um, but obviously the atmosphere definitely helped. Um they're conceding. I know a lot of this part is under Marcelo Bielsa, but I think stylistically there's a lot of similarities between him and Jesse Marsh. And Leeds are giving away over three expected goals per game against the big six, conceding shots in the box, 13.6 per game. You know, very unsustainable figures, really. So I think they're up against it this weekend. I think Arsenal win. You can back Arsenal minus one on the Asian handicap, but around about 1.78 on the exchange. Uh, it means you get paid out if Arsenal win by two goals or more. Uh, get your money back if they win by exactly one. So uh, I think that's a, a fair enough way in. Odds compiler Mark Stinchkin, who is on terrific form right now, is in the starting three for this one. Stinch, Jesse Marsh came in. I think anybody who'd seen him in his previous jobs, knew that he wasn't a guy who was going to come in and try and dig out 1-0 wins. That's never been what he's about, which I presume is why Leeds were attracted to him in the first place. But do you think there's been a significant improvement or do you think they're still in massive trouble? Um, I think it's probably difficult to quantify, really, because I feel there's a lot of teams in the league that have been involved in matches where they don't have anything to play for and that's probably cut out to give us to a clearer picture. So, for example, Leeds are in a relegation fight and I didn't think that after Jesse Marsh picked up a couple of good results, I thought they were done and dusted. But because Burnley have all of a sudden accelerated up the table and Everton have also picked up the odd win here and there, you think of Burnley, you know, beating a Wolves team with nothing to play for, uh, beating fellow struggler in uh, in Watford, uh, other victories as well. It's just all of a sudden, I mean, even Brentford uh, aren't out of it. And and it's, it's, it's just, I think it's just difficult to say. I think he's been handicapped massively, as Bielsa was, with these recurring injuries. Now, I don't know who, if that's somebody's, I don't want to say fault, but... There's always been a lot of talk about how hard Bielsa trains his players and generally when Bielsa leaves a club, it's because the club's or the team is on is on a downslide and is that because he's overworked the players? You think about Marseille, think about Athletic Bilbao. Um, so, and if that's the case, it it is maybe a could be too far back for Leeds. I don't know. Maybe the saving grace is Everton's fixture list. Um yeah, I, I, I rate Jesse Marsh, don't get me wrong, but whoever took that job was in a very, very difficult position. You know, if you're hamstrung with no Patrick Bamford, who scored, you know, a high percentage of their goals over the last few seasons, it's it, and you're having to play, you know, wingers up front in, in the likes of Dan James and, and Jack Harrison and Rodrigo now and again, and no Calvin Phillips a lot of the season as well to dictate things, and Mark mentioned Stuart Dallas is such a big influence in, in that side. Um yeah, I, I, it's 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 difficult. I would feel sorry for him because I think he got treated a little bit harshly at Leipzig. I think he could have turned things around there. But unfortunately, because Tedesco has done such a good job at Leipzig, it's unfortunately going to be labelled probably that Marsh was a failure. 
Um, but as we mentioned before, he'd done a terrific job at New York Red Bulls in America. That probably doesn't sound very good, but he innovated the way they played. They finished top of the supporter shield. They played really good football. I also think he took Salzburg to the next level. I was very, very impressed with how they played when they faced both Liverpool and Napoli in the Champions League. So long term, I do think he'll be a good manager. But at this moment in time, I think he's having to deal with a lot of personnel problems, which really aren't helping him. The rock star of trading, Jason Murphy, is back with us this weekend. Jason, it's a really tricky one uh, for all the reasons the guys have outlined for Jesse Marsh. Putting those three up against each other, Burnley, Everton and Leeds, who for you looks in the most danger of the three? Well, the market will tell you clearly it's Leeds because of the way it's priced. Um, I think they're a little bit short and I think Burnley are a little bit big, but... With four games to go, five in Everton's case, anything can happen. Run of variance can be a massive, massive factor in the next couple of games. Where you can try to identify a bit of an edge is motivation with games left to be played. Uh, I think Burnley, part of why their price is so big is the market has has identified those couple of games against Aston Villa with arguably very little to play for. And motivation is massive. On average, when the team has is on the beach, you'll see the market move half a goal. So if two even teams are playing at a neutral venue, seven to four for home advantage, 0.4 of a goal is about six to five. But it actually goes a bit further, like it's into about 11 to 10 um, when you consider one team isn't going to be motivated to make a few changes, etc. So I think Burnley are benefiting from that. Arguably, you know, Everton, you know, last day of the season, Everton go away to Arsenal. That's not a game you want to be playing if Arsenal are still going top four and you're you're needing a result to stay up. Uh, but on the flip side, Leeds go away to Brentford last game and a funny, weird, poetic kind of justice in a way, as in I'd be comfortable with Leeds getting relegated if they concede a set-piece goal to Brentford because under Bielsa, under Marsh, they haven't sorted out their set-pieces issues Yeah. Um, they've conceded the most from set pieces and penalties in the league this season, 23 goals. And if one team's going to exploit it, it'll be Brentford. Um, arguably, that's <laughs> not saying it's the case, but Sam Allardyce would have sorted out the set pieces. Some people have led, <laughs> lead you to believe. Um, so it's like, yeah, each team, I think, if any of those teams win their remaining games, like they're going to stay up. It's like So I, it's arguably all in their own hands. But in fairness to those three teams, and I think Stint was alluding to it about the teams above them, um, and we might have spoken about earlier teams being in the same bracket. I think like Brentford and Southampton are maybe a little bit, little bit lucky because they haven't had the injuries that Leeds have clearly had. Burnley, you know, Ashley Barnes, massive miss all season, starting to get fit now. They didn't get the best out of Corne. And then I think Everton and Benitez were very unlucky with Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Mina missed a lot of the second half of the season. We've seen the difference he made in terms of attitude, but also, you know, being able to win the ball when he came in last week against Chelsea. So there's a very good player, um, lad on Twitter, Ben Dinnery, who's excellent for like Premier yeah. League injuries and news updates. I'd nearly like to see a league table of like squads and players missed through injury. And I think those three teams that are fight relegation are well up there. And maybe the Leeds is self-inflicted by working too hard, but it just goes to show you need a bit of luck, whether you're going for a quadruple or fighting to stay in the league a bit of luck can dictate where you just fall the wrong side of variance. So um, in terms of relegation battle, I still just think Burnley a little bit big at the moment. A couple of good results, but I think the market may be just reading a bit too much into that at the moment. 
Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Enormous game in Spain on Sunday. Real Madrid already champions and through to the Champions League final, but they will never pass up a chance to mess up their city rivals. Atletico, who are suddenly in danger of not qualifying for the Champions League. Stinch, Atletico, the... 2.14 favourites at the Wanda Metropolitano. That seems awfully short to me. Yeah, I think it's probably a result of Real Madrid's theatrics in the Champions League second leg, having to play extra time and having won the league already, basically. Um, not necessarily got anything to play for. Jason spoke very well there about how motivation can, can move a price. But obviously it doesn't factor in, you know, that this is a derby, this is a rivalry. Um, and they hate Atletico. They would love to mess them up. They really would I, put them in their place. I would probably wait for the teams to before you decide if you want to back Real Madrid in some way because I feel like they need to like wrap Benzema and Cottonwall for for the Champions League final. There's no need to go all out, and it I would it, I would I would be very surprised to see any medical studies that suggest that it makes sense for him to play in this match after playing you know 115 minutes on a, on Wednesday night. Um, but they the should be of... in some kind of cryogenic tube, by <laughs> shouldn't he? Really, they'll just wake him up on the morning of the final. They... Although yeah. you say that, that the the four 0 win over Espanyol last weekend, I thought was extraordinary because with the game won, they brought him on for the last half hour. It's bizarre. I think probably similar to how like Salah plays a lot of minutes at Liverpool as well. They just it's just desperate to play and, and desperate to score. Um, and it's it's quite good, really, or quite nice, I would say, to see players. We often see players, maybe in the past, maybe going back sort of before five years ago, that they've already peaked by the time they get to this age. But it almost seems though these guys, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, etc., increasing the bar now in terms of age, which I think yeah. I think is really fantastic and refreshing to see. And I kind of Lewandowski is another one. I mean, Lewandowski, the way he looks after himself, he's pretty much on the fitness level of a 25-year-old, you'd say, but he's 34. It's remarkable. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's because, you know, now we're in 2022, there's a lot more data, science is a lot more evolved and these players are getting a lot more intuition on how to look after themselves and, and be ready for, for long periods of seasons because nine months of intense football is, is a lot on a body. So uh, I think it's really, really, really impressive. So, yeah, in terms of this match, because without knowing the lineups and expecting Real Madrid, we can definitely say at, at worst Real Madrid should be a little bit tired after what happened on, on Wednesday night. I was looking at the, the under two and a half goals, to be honest, at four to five. Um, generally, it was five to six yesterday, so you've always already seen that's been clipped in a little bit. Generally, when these two play each other, they are low-scoring games. The last six meetings have seen just seven goals, with them all under 2.5. I feel with Atletico um, sort of just being on the cusp of that last Champions League spot, Simeone surely I think in his mind is going to play play this out of okay we don't concede and then if we can get a goal that's a bonus I think it I think that I think it's going to be quite cagey in in that in that regard I mean and then that's taken into the context of the game even without the context of the last uh the last five meetings in the league you look at the expected goals on average across those games it's been less than two um so I think that plays a big part as well and, and if Benzema doesn't play 
yeah, that obviously massively helps with, with, with less goals. I mean, he's got 41 goals this season from an expected goals of 31.92. It's just an incredible overachievement. You look at him in the Champions League, especially 15 goals from 7.1 expected goals. And that's including penalties, which are up at 0.75. So... That's yeah, beyond belief, just... isn't it, really? I mean, that's going to break poor old Jake's XG runs <laughs> if that carries on. I mean, you would expect some regression. Obviously, expected goals is based on average player. And we know Benzema is an above average player. But just to continue maintain it is just ridiculously, ridiculously impressive. Um, he's one to three to win the Ballon d'Or, just on a sort of a side note. And obviously, yeah, he's scored a lot of goals and, and they've won La Liga. But... If Liverpool win the Champions League, surely somebody like Sadio Mane at 16-1, to 1, having already won the African Cup of Nations, yeah, yeah. Has, has got to be up there with a, with, a, with a chance. Sorry, what price did you just say Sadio Mane was? Yeah, 16-1. to 1. Just to get... big to me. Jason, go on. Well, just to give a bit of context around this, um, the rules have changed on how Ballon d'Or is decided this year. So previously, it would have taken into consideration... Uh, a player's career performance but now it's purely to be done on the season and the season as well is a normal European football season so any World Cup performance later in the year doesn't come into it so if you consider what Benzema has done this season and the numbers you've spoken about and high profile games a couple of hat-tricks the Penenka a lot of these awards can be narrative driven and he's driven a narrative there himself to put himself as the favourite for it what happens with United's treble winners in 1999, the PFA Player of the Year was David Ginola for a goal he scored against Barnsley. The United players split the vote, essentially, and that's potentially what could happen with Liverpool. If you have Mane scoring the FA Cup final, Salah scoring the Champions League final, Liverpool win the quadruple, you could still see Benzema, the way the scoring system is, picking up more votes um, than a Mane or a Salah. So, yeah, it's always, always read the rules before you go looking at these markets so that's those are just important factors and when it's subjective as well narratives can really drive it as well and how people vote um so yeah benzema he was even money before the champions league second leg um and that's been cut in then because they've got through he's got another high profile game he provided the, the assist to, to start the comeback he scored the penalty after winning it last night and a good performance from benzema i.e scoring in the champions league final uh could see him win it regardless of what Salah and Mane do. Um, on the flip side, though, you will be waiting until next season to get paid out, even though it's decided on this season. So things like, I was asked this question yesterday and I said, well, I'd rather back Real Madrid at 7-2 to qualify because the only way Benzema wins the Ballon d'Or is if Real Madrid get to the final and you get paid out quicker on it at a bigger price. Whereas, um, so he was even money yesterday. The fact it got to the final is now 1-2. to two, Whereas if, Real Madrid didn't make the comeback last night. He's much bigger than even money today. So there's other ways of getting these players on side if if you fancy them to do do well in these kind of markets also. And he has scored against Liverpool in the Champions League final before, but I don't think Loris Karius is going to turn up and just throw the ball onto his boot this time around. Uh, we'll continue the European theme in Italy because Mark Salernitana have been on the charge in Serie A. Looked as though they were doomed just a few weeks ago, but they might just do this, mightn't they? Yeah, they really might. And um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a huge couple of days with Salernitana. Uh, on Thursday, they play Venezia in a six-pointer, Venezia rock bottom of Serie A and seemingly doomed themselves. Um, and then on Sunday, they host uh, Cagliari, who are in the place immediately above the relegation zone uh, and just two points off Cagliari going into the game on Thursday. So in theory, they could be above Cagliari coming into this game. Uh, they could be two points below them or just one point below them. But uh, yeah, a, a fantastic opportunity for them to pull off a great escape really and it's all down to their head coach Davide Nicola who's got a you know a CV full of great escapes he did a, a remarkable job to pull Crotone away from trouble in 2017 uh, he's since saved Genoa and Torino from relegation in the last two seasons um, he's got form he's obviously went viral recently for taking his shoe off and threatening his players with it um, during one of their recent wins but you know when he arrived in um, February he inherited a team who were rock bottom three wins from 23 and for all good tense and perseveres, basically 1.01 for relegation. They look doomed. They look gone. They've picked up 10 points from the last four games. Uh, they've beaten Sampdoria, Udinese and Fiorentina. On Monday night, they earned a creditable draw against uh, Atalanta as well. We obviously don't know the outcome of their match against Venezia. But to me, they're undervalued here against Cagliari on Sunday, uh, regardless, because it's still a huge game, regardless of whether they win, draw or lose that, that match on Thursday night. Um, because after a brief resurgence through the winter, Cagliari have slipped back into their, their poor way. Seven defeats from eight recently. And I think more worryingly for me, their away defeats at Genoa and Spezia were were pretty lifeless affairs. And that's been the issue. Um, Cagliari, an island club, of course, based in Sardinia, don't tend to travel well traditionally. And that's been the case again this season with 10 defeats from 17 on the road, 13 away goals and conceding around two goals per game on average away from home. Home and away, they've only managed two clean sheets all season anyhow. So you'd expect Salernitana to score here. And if they do, um, I don't see them losing this match. So um, in terms of the data, in terms of the results and in terms of the eye test, since Davide Nicola came in, Salernitana are the better team. Therefore, for me, the prices in this match should be much closer together. Uh, the minute, um, well, basically, if the two teams were rated around equal, Salernitana would be around 2.2 to 2.3-ish, you'd say. Um, they're pushing 2.5 to beat Cagliari uh, on Sunday. So I can back them with a, a zero-goal start on the Asian handicap at a 1.8. It's the same as the draw-no bet, basically. Get your money back if the game ends in a draw. Uh, I'd definitely rather be on the home team. Uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for them to pull off something quite remarkable. Worth bearing in mind as well, before the change of ownership, Salernitana were nearly chucked out of Serie A altogether. So if they do manage to stay in Serie A, they'll have survived twice in the same season. Uh, back to the Premier League then. Can Manchester City recover from that bedlam at the Bernabeu that saw their Champions League hopes ripped to shreds? They face Newcastle at the Etihad. And even though the Magpies were a bit timid against Liverpool, truth be told, they only lost 1-0. Jason, City are 1.2 here. Is there a handicap opportunity or are you looking elsewhere? Um, yeah, often if you want to get like a decent price for Man City, you have to look to the handicap and you're either looking, yeah, you can go Asian handicap or you can go Man City to win to nil or you could have a look at Man City, both teams to score. And, and, and I'm putting up just both teams to score as a tip, but you could definitely put it with the Man City win as a bigger price. Both teams to score itself is 23 to 20, so it's odds against... Um, the Man City price did move out a slight tick. We'd often see that when you have teams play midweek and the game goes to extra time, you'd often see the match price move, but it's it's minimal really in this instance. Uh, there was a bigger move in terms of the Premier League outright, as in Liverpool shortened in, not playing last night, 
you know, Champions League, completely different competition, but this is the reliability, the mentality factor that the market is possibly factoring in. Maybe Kyle Walker, I'm not sure his injury status, maybe he's gone for the rest of the season, which will he impact... He didn't look good, did he? Yeah, will impact City's last remaining couple of games. So Liverpool shorten a little bit on the Betfair exchange, 3.15 to 3.05 to, to win the Premier League. Uh, but feeding into that, like Kyle Walker, we don't know his injury status and... We know Man City defensively, they've, they've shown vulnerability, they've given opportunities that teams have been able to take advantage of. Um, seeing that in the first leg um, with Real Madrid as well, even though Man City were brilliant for the opening 20 minutes, should have scored more themselves. They still allowed Real Madrid an opportunity and to get back in the tie in the first leg and ultimately get through. So Newcastle, they caused Liverpool a little bit of problem last week. Klopp said the pump long balls forward and you have to defend them then. It's just you have to go and win them. There's no system set up as such. It's pure desire and skill. Against this Man City defence that won't be full strength, if Newcastle are popping balls forward, there's going to be opportunities come. Like my, Newcastle nearly broke the offside trap against Liverpool. are excellent at playing the offside trap. Balmoran almost got through last week. You have saying Maximan then going up against who won't be first-choice full-backs potentially for Man City. And just City maybe, you know, a bit down after what happened during the week. So I think 23 to 20, both teams to score is really good. If you want to juice it up a bit, then absolutely you can add in the Man City win. Um, very last thing for me this weekend as well, just if anyone's still listening, just a bonus tip at the end. Uh, just on the Arsenal-Leeds game, I would say have a look in the goal scorer markets. Saka is definitely clearly now on penalties. On the Betfair Sportsbook, you'll get 6-1 to one on him. You can back him each way. Against the Leeds defence, that's going to be makeshift. Like Mark has given great, both Marks have given great indications of what the issues Leeds are going to have there. Um, so something silly like uh, Cooper not in there. I don't have faith in Cock or Lorente, particularly on set pieces. And that's the second angle. If Ben White, he's 50 50 play at the moment. If he doesn't start, have a look at Rob Holding. Scored last week. He's 25 to 1 first goal scorer, given Leeds issues on set pieces. Um, there's definitely value in there. But if you're doing a bet fair bet builder, that holds true. So you can have a look at Saka. First goal score is too big. Have a look at any time or shots. And likewise for holding, if he starts, even just to have a shot or shot on target, could be a nice price to put in a bet builder. And if you do go for that bet builder, worth bearing in mind that our fantastic Ackers and Bet Builders offers running every day. Bet £10 on Ackers or Bet Builders. Receive a £2 free bet to use on Ackers or Bet Builders. T's and C's apply. Let's head stateside because, Stinch, you've got an MLS pick for us. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about, by far and away, the best team in the MLS in LAFC, Los Angeles FC. They've been the best team in the MLS for the best part of the last three seasons. They just don't have the titles to show for it because of the, the bizarre kind of system of the way the MLS works is at the end of the season, the top uh, six or seven from each um, conference going to playoffs and essentially we know what happen, can happen in playoffs um, you know only one or two games margins are finer and you know sometimes you get some uh, bad variants essentially but uh, yeah they're by far and away the best the best team in the league they've started this season really well seven wins one draw one defeat um, you only have to look at the closing odds to see how good they are. You look at them in terms of um, aesthetically how they play. They average the second most shots in the league and they concede the, the fourth fewest. 
Um, they're four to six here at home to Philadelphia Union, which which feels chunky to me. Um, Philadelphia, in terms of shots, they only rank mid-table on on those data. Um, but to kind of put into context, really, like how this how this side kind of goes about their the football tactics essentially you look at the expected goals figures um, LAFC average 1.8 expected goals per game and only 0.7 against now those numbers in terms of going forward very similar to Chelsea in the Premier League and defensively very similar in terms to Man City so that just gives you an idea of how good they are in that relevant MLS league. Uh, and as I mentioned before, closing prices, you look at them at home this season, they've closed at 4-9, to 1-2, to 1-3, 1-2. And in this fixture last season, they were 4-11. to 11. So this 4-6 to six feels too big to me. Um, so I think the best way to attack it is you could just back them at 4-6 to six, or you could back them on the Asian handicap, minus three quarters. Uh, around about 1.95 so that's half your bet on LA to win and half your bet on LA to win by more than one goal and if they only win by a single goal half your bet still wins you just obviously get in uh, a bigger price but yeah you could put them in a multiple um, do as you please um, I wouldn't watch it though it's uh, it'll be very in the early hours of Sunday morning so my favorite thing is to put a bet on Saturday night and then get paid to sleep lovely stuff you could always record it of course if you want to. But Mark Stinch is a very busy man. He's got lots of games to watch. Um, finally, Mark, you're taking... Talking of people who watch a lot of football, uh, Mark, you're taking us to France. Yeah, um, big weekend in France. It's the Coupe de France final between uh, Nice and Nantes. Uh, so there's a bit of a reduced plate in Ligue 1. But there's a big, important game at the bottom. Angers take on Bordeaux. Uh, Angers have kind of slept walk themselves into a relegation battle. Uh, they are in a, a reasonable position right now, but... You know, you go back to September's international break. They started the season with a real flourish, a new era under a new coaching team after a 10-year stint under Stéphane Moulin. Uh, and things started well, but since September's international break, uh, they've won five times in 31 league games and earned only three points more than the worst performing team in that sample. So things haven't been going well for quite some time. They've been struggling to pick up victories and they have been dragged down into this battle at the bottom. Um, they'll see this as a winnable opportunity, of course, because they're playing a Bordeaux team who have been struggling all season, um, struggling to defend, struggling to do anything really. Uh, crisis is on the pitch, off the pitch. Um, just a, a real shame to see such a, a famous old club in, in such a perilous state. But that's the way it is, really. And Bordeaux have uh, kept just the one clean sheet across all of their league games all season conceding 2.43 goals per game on average uh, a dreadful sort of defensive return but Angers during that 31 game sample have kept just four shutouts themselves um, and I think both teams will see this as an opportunity to well Angers to pull clear of the relegation zone and, and try and secure safety but Bordeaux they're four points uh, adrift of the relegation playoff place with just three games to play. So, you know, getting very close to win or bust um, for them. So they will give it a go. They have done in recent weeks. Uh, they do tend to be quite erratic in their approach uh, defensively, as I said, pretty dishevelled. But going forward, they have got players who can make a difference. So, yeah, I'm just expecting rather than a traditional uh, low-key defensive six-pointer, I think both teams will see this as a, an opportunity to pick up points. So I'm expecting an open game, an attacking game. Tends to be the way with Bordeaux. Um, they've seen more both teams to score winners than any team in France this season. 69% of their league games have seen BTTS, 3.77 goals per game on average. Um, 
And both teams to score has been the right selection in 11 of their 15 against the bottom half. And interestingly as well, it's been the right selection in 15 of Angers' 21 against teams in 8th and below. So against the, the very worst teams in the division, they tend to score and concede. So yeah, both teams to score is around 1.84. Um, if you look at the league on average, uh, both teams to score is around about 54%. So pretty much bang in line with what the, the odds probability are here. Um, and I don't think that is the case. I think we've got two of the very worst defences in the division uh, and two teams absolutely desperate for points which I think occasionally terrible defences of a recipe for goals just as much as clinical forward lines so yeah I have both teams to score a little bit shorter than it is. And given Bordeaux's financial worries it really could be quite literally win or bust. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got a special midweek edition next week. Loads of Premier League games on the horizon. Some really big ones as well. So make sure you tune in for that special show. From Jason, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>